it was me. I think it was always me, that I was always broken. And I think, I personally think I was born this way. Um, I was born with an addiction when I look at, even years before I picked up a bottle, I could I could look at my behaviors. I was obsessive. I collected everything. As you know, I would collect baseball cards, and my whole life would be baseball cards. And one day I would wake up and go, "You're like eh, comic books today." And then mm-hmm. I was just always searching for something. So I think there was just something in me that was always broken. I look at it today like God gave me a gift. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then he's given that to me, and I have to share it and, and use it and help other people. Um, I, I got, I wouldn't trade, it was rough, but I wouldn't trade a minute of it, of the suffering or an ounce of the pain, um, because I think without it, I might not have what I have today. So I don't think my parents did anything wrong. Mm. They were great. <laughs> like, yeah. they still are. Um, it's It was just me. You mm. know, I think some of us are just wired to be a certain way. And we break bad, but we can come back and, and mm-hmm. make something of ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Or at least have a life. You know? Yeah. Hey, good morning, guys. Welcome to the Not Genius Podcast. We hope that you guys had an amazing weekend. This week, we got EJ Fornius here here at the CSC station in Wilmington. But what's up, EJ? How are you doing, man? So far, so good. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. I like that attitude, man. Thank you for being early as well. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah, if you're not early, you're late. I'm really, I'm really, really excited to dive into your story and get to know you a little bit more and um, just build this relationship. Cool. So, EJ, uh, can you tell us a little bit about like your origin story? I know uh, you're known as an attorney in Wilmington, but it's like, what what comes before being an attorney? You know, what led up to all that? Hmm. Um. You know, people ask me like why I chose being an attorney and it's you know, I really don't have a good answer other than at some point I had an aunt who said uh, I think you'd be a great attorney because <laughs> I don't know if I was an argumentative child um, and that just kind of stuck and that's all I ever wanted to do and um, thank God I enjoy it because I there there was no backup plan um, <clears throat> pardon me but I'm I'm from Delaware County Pennsylvania not too far from from where we sit um, I come from a good, loving household. My parents are still together. Um, You know, they gave me everything that I should have had and and a lot of the things I wanted to. There's no problems. Like, I never had a bad childhood. Everything was just normal, suburban. Um, You know, I played sports as a kid and went to Catholic school. That really didn't take, even though... When I look at my life now, and there's a lot of people, including my parents and, and teachers, that tried to tell me and teach me what was right and how to behave and how to act as, as a man and a Christian, and uh, honestly, not much of that took at, at that point. Um, so I kind of I kind of broke bad <laughs> in my older years. I um I didn't go to the local high school. The local Catholic high school that everybody else in my grade school would have went to. I went to a private high school called Devon Prep. Um, I graduated with 23 men in my class. At one point, I could name everybody I graduated uh, my high school with, which very few people can do. And I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, 20 of them were rich. And then there was three of us from from Havertown, Pennsylvania that uh, were not. So I always felt a little bit out of place. 
as far back as I can remember. Um, so, you know, they, I had my parents leftover Dodge K car and then everybody else when they turned 16 or 17 got a Mazda Miata or a Jeep Wrangler. So like we, we kind of, the three of us kind of felt a little bit out of place. I ended up at, um, I graduated there with pretty decent grades and I went to LaSalle University in, in Philadelphia and um, things kind of took, took a left turn there. It's not in the best neighborhood and um, you know, I kind of found the sorts of people that I was looking for. Um, and I got accepted actually at LaSalle, I was in the honors program and it was, it seemed pretty exciting. I remember the um, director of the program called me like on a Saturday night at like 11 o'clock at night, like my parents were in bed um, and they like kind of ran in the phone and, you know, he called me to like tell me, uh, he was giving me a full academic scholarship for four years. And, um, you know, four years later, I wasn't prepared to graduate. Like it just, the grades were not great. I just kind of felt like a, like a disappointment and a letdown to a whole bunch of people and, and that man included. Um, but eventually I did graduate and, you know, I still had that dream in the back of my head about going to law school. Um, I aimed really low. I applied to the absolute worst law school in the country. That was my safety school. I applied to a school in Boca Raton, which I got into. And uh, as high as I aimed was Widener, in, which is in Wilmington. And um, a, lot of, a lot of Delaware lawyers here are Widener graduates, and it's, it's held in a higher regard in Wilmington than it is in the rest of the country, I'll say that. But it was still like a bottom-tiered law school. So I got into all three, and it just kind of made sense to, to go to Widener. And um, off to Delaware, I came, which I don't think I'd ever driven through more than once or twice in the 23 years prior to that. Um, law school was it was a different experience. Um, it was just, it's different than college to the extent that I only was in class 15 hours a week, which was the same, and they only have final exams. So you have all this free time and you can do as little or study as hard as you want throughout the year. Um, and I did nothing for six or seven weeks and just kind of chilled out and relaxed. And um, then at about week seven, we had like these, thir I think it were 13 week semesters, half, so basically halfway through, I would just get serious and work like 12 hour days. And, and I did pretty well. I was kind of a quiet kid. I didn't have any, any friends. Um, the problem was for me, um, I developed a bit of an, of an alcohol and drug problem in college. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I thought law school, this is, I didn't really know what was wrong with me. I just knew that I kind of felt different. And I knew that the way I drank and partied and had fun was just a little bit different than everybody else around me. Um, so I thought law school was like my chance to, to be different and be better. I thought I could fix myself. Um, I found out that did not work, but nevertheless, I got buckled down enough that I graduated with, um, I don't know what it was called, like cum laude, like with honors. Mm -hmm. Um, so I did pretty well. I was at the top of the class and, um, 
I was working for a law firm in Philadelphia at the time as an intern, and he offered me a job. I think I would have been the first person in my class to have a job. It was okay money, but it was the kind of law I wanted to to uh, do plaintiff's personal injury work. I wanted to be an ambulance chaser, and that's you know, what I got my my start doing with a, with a Philadelphia law firm. And I thought everything was, was pretty good. Um, and... Um, you know, then that addiction reared its reared its ugly head once again. Once I had a little bit of time and a little bit of money in my pocket, and <clears throat> I eventually took a job after about a year or two with a with a Delaware law firm, and so I worked I worked at that firm for about ten years before I went out on my own. But in two thousand and five, uh, I got arrested. I got arrested for a DUI, and. Um, it was in New Jersey, I forget exactly where, but the wind-up was I got court-ordered to go to, to a 12-step fellowship, and, um, you know, that's where, that's where my life changed. That's where my life changed. So, it was somewhat difficult for me to wrap my head around the fact that this is where my best ideas had brought me. Um, again, I came from a good family, fairly smart guy, did okay through school. Now here I am living my dream as a lawyer. I got a little bit of money in my pocket, I'm driving a, you know, a five-year-old Lexus, but it, you know, to me it was a Lexus nonetheless. And, you know, I owned a condo in Trolley Square. And I thought like, I thought if I had all that stuff that I would be happy. And I wasn't. I was, the truth was I was completely miserable and I hated my life, I, and I kind of wanted to die. And the hardest thing in the world for me at that point, and this is around 2005, was, was to look in the mirror. I just, I couldn't do it. And the hard part was I lived in this condo, and, you know, when you kind of came into the lobby, there were just mirrors everywhere. The whole first floor was, like, just mirror-covered. And, you know, every day it was, like, the hardest thing in the world for me to do is just kind of, like, walk 30 steps to the elevator, like, with my head down so as to not, like, see the man I had uh, become, you know, I, did, I didn't like, and I wasn't happy with the man I'd become. And I, by this point I'd stopped worrying about what other people had thought of me and was just kind of living to survive. And, you know, my problem was alcohol primarily. Uh, drugs are a part of my story, but, but it's really the booze that, that kind of brought me to my bottom. Like, you hear a lot of people that are in recovery talk about hitting a bottom and I think the biggest mistake that a lot of us that, that are in recovery or should be in recovery or need recovery, as well as people outside of it, think is that, is that bottom is somehow measured um, in the material world, you know, and, and it's really not. You know, I knew a guy that was living in a tent. He was older than me. He was living in a tent down by Frawley Stadium. And um, was as happy as could be. He was homeless, living in a tent. Just kind of thought he was camping. You know, well, it just, it just wasn't done. Like, you know, from my perspective, like, I own a condo and drive a Lexus. It sounds like I should be good. This and I'm miserable. This guy's happy as could be. He just, what I'm trying to say is, like, my bottom was was measured. And I think all our bottoms are measured like internally. Mm. Um, I hit a point where I did not like myself and did not like what I had become, and that is what kind of prompted me to, to make a change. Um, so court ordered 
to a 12-step fellowship, and when I showed up there, they had those 12 steps on the wall, and um, I, I just, I immediately kind of like this air, I, was, I felt deflated, like the air had went out of me, because I saw words like, you know, power greater than myself or higher power, and like, I know what that's code for, and, and I'm not really trying to hear that. I'm not here for that. Uh, I want to stop drinking, and I really don't know what, what any of that has to do with this. But what really caught my attention at that point is um, the men that were happy. You know, I, I, my, the first meeting where I really paid attention, there was a guy, and he, he was covered in tattoos, and just you could tell he'd been around the block. He was beat up and rough and calloused, and he shared in the meeting about trying to hang himself from a fan. And um, that guy was smiling on the way out the door, and I was as miserable as I could be walking out to my Lexus. And those, those two things did not make sense to me, so I talked to that guy only because I wanted, I wanted to feel like I thought he felt, you know. And um, what he had was real, and he told me what he did, and, and better than that, he showed me how to do it. Um, and he walked me through a set of 12 steps, which, which really changed uh, everything for me you know, in my life. Um, and I kind of went down that path. And, and, you know, the thing about the 12-step fellowship that, that I was in, um, I'm going to do my best to not identify it by name because it's, it's supposed to be anonymous. Um, I've given you all enough, enough clues that you can figure out which one it is, but um, I'll, I'll do my best to respect the traditions of that fellowship. Um, things just got better, you know, and, and I, I couldn't, I didn't understand why, right, because it didn't seem to make sense, and, and kind of the way I explain it is, think of like a recipe, and if you make the same recipe the same way, for you stir it the same time, you pour the same amount of ingredients in, ideally what you make should taste the same every day, but if you add like a little something extra you know, one day and it tastes a little different, I think it's reasonable to assume that that new ingredient changed the taste. Mm -hmm. And I had tried to stay sober for many, many years, and the only new ingredient I added in once I hit this 12-step fellowship uh, was I asked a God I did not understand for help. Mm. And the best I could muster was about 48 hours clean when I asked... God, I did not understand at that point for help. Um, I remember day three and day four and day seven, and I said, something's going on here. And it has to be this, this new ingredient, just saying these, these little prayers to, to something or someone I do not understand and do not believe in. Mm. Um, you know, and I'm here to report that you know, my God has delivered me from, from a hopeless state of mind and body, one that I thought could never get out of and one that I had accepted as my lot in life. Um, and I guess the most important thing I like to share with, with everybody is like, he did not care that I did not believe. He did not care that I did not think he was real. Like his power was so great for me that it did not matter, you know, that I asked for help and I got it. Um, and I try to share that with as many people, and, and I've tried to help people young in recovery um, over the years and, and, and just kind of impress upon that point. Like, if you ask, he, he will deliver. Um, 
I don't know. And I kind of went on for about 10 years. And if, if I'm, you know, to be truthful, like, I bought into the idea of the Father, but I had not accepted the Son. Hmm. And I was living good, hmm. but not... I still needed some, you know, to, to clean up some of the, the behaviors in my life. And um, one day I was in the wrong place looking for the wrong thing, and I found her. Um, and I immediately moved her in. And for about a year and a half, that was completely toxic. But um, her parents were members of an evangelical church, and, and she wanted me to meet them, and they wanted to meet me at church. And I said, I will do this because you are the love of my life, and if this is what it takes, I will I will go to this church. And um, I still... I st- my memory is awful, but there are there are moments I remember, and when I can remember a moment, I think it's because I'm supposed to, so that I can use it to help somebody in the future. And I remember exactly how I felt that first day, sitting um, in that pew, and I just I just knew that I was home, and I was I knew I was where I belonged. I went back to that church next week. She didn't come, and I met and I sat with her parents, and I sat with her parents the week after that, and. And people remembered me, and, and I just knew that I was home. And, um, you know, I eventually did come to, which I'm struggling for the right word, but but I did came to believe in the sun. Um, and again, you know, I don't know if it's selfish to even say it like this, but in my experience, you know, God has always revealed himself to me on my terms, and maybe that's because I'm hard-headed and I wouldn't accept him any other way, but I was struggling with something, and it was it was consuming my every free thought for about two months, and all the while, I'm going to this church, and I'm hearing everybody um, praying in the name of Jesus Christ, and one day I said, let me try this, like, what's, what's the worst that can happen, and um, that situation that had completely baffled me for six weeks, two months, that was over in about four hours. It had worked itself out four hours later. It might have been three, I don't know. But same day real quick. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I remember telling that story to, to my pastor that baptized me. And, um, you know, ever since that, I, I, I stayed in that church for a while. And, and truthfully, we had, a, we had a falling out over COVID. And um, I'm sort of rudderless these days. But my, my beliefs remain the same. Um, and I'm happy, you know, and I, and I look and I see somebody that was raised right, you know, shown how to live, what a man was, shown who God was and what he could do, turned my back on it, had to go through peril and circumstance. And, and I really believe that I could not have walked any other path, mm. you know, if, I'm jealous of people that were like raised in church and just believed, you know, like I feel like that's so much harder. Right. But for me, like I'd be an idiot not to believe my life was drastically changed in an instant. Like I feel like I was slapped on the side of the head and said, yo, I'm real. Um, I'd be, I'd be a fool not to believe. I I just feel it's like easier for me. Um, I don't know. That's about the story of the, the last 50 or so years. It's an amazing story. Thank, Thank you so you. much for sharing that with us and being so vulnerable. 
Oh, my pleasure. Yeah. From what I really concluded and learned from you, it sounded like a lot of the things that the world may feed into our brain in terms of what we want and what we desire that will make us feel complete and that will shield us from any of the inter- you know internal darkness like why would we in- why would we, why would we experience internal darkness if we had this this and that mm-hmm. and you shared with us like that's not the truth that's kind of something that maybe the enemy or the devil may try to feed into your brain so that you would chase these empty mm. desires. But then you find yourself at this crossroad of, you know, disobeying God and f- being there alone f- and feeling kind of empty and void. That was really powerful. Thank you. When you were in college or when you were younger, who were you aspiring to be when you grew up or who are you working to become? I think like most kids my age, I wanted to be, you know, I first wanted to be Mike Schmidt or some, mm-hmm. one of the members of the Phillies back in the, the 80s. Um, as I got a little older, truthfully, I did not have anybody that I, that I wanted to be. I never really, until you just asked that question, even, even thought about it. Now I'm just kind of wondering why. Mm. Um, but I never... Yeah, you know, I always wanted to be rich or famous or something like that. I don't know why, uh, other than that's maybe what society taught me or maybe what I took from it. Hmm. Uh, I don't want those same things today. I can tell you that. Um, yeah, yeah. You said when you moved to uh, Philly for college, you found the people that you were looking for. What, I guess, attracted you to those people? Was it that outcast feeling that you had when you were going to the high school? Yeah, I, th- I think that it was. I think that it was the I don't belong here. I'm, I'm some sort of outsider. Something's different about me. I'm broken internally. Um, I sought a solution from that, and I found that in the bottle. Mm-hmm. In college, it just... Yeah, basically same same group of people. There's just more of us because um, it's it's a bigger playing field. And I just found those people that were dealing with their issues the same way that I was, mm. and and we kind of dove to the bottom together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you remember your feelings back in college, or at that age were you not very in touch with your feelings? Is that something that developed over time, or what was your concept of like? these feelings back then I, I can tell you I'm definitely more in touch today and even more so now than I was 18 months ago but back then it was just a lot of there was a lot of attention seeking behavior and I didn't know what was wrong with me at that point I didn't know that there was something wrong with me I just you know I thought maybe I was just different somehow um, but I have, I do remember nights where I would just absolutely do things completely for attention, mm. whether they were, you know, funny and running around parties naked or just 
playing sad music and hold up in my dorm room. But like with the door open so everybody could see I was completely miserable. Like just stuff like that. Um, I don't know. You know, I don't, I don't remember. I just know that that I was really happy back then. Mm. Dang, I'm just trying to like process all of that. Because you started off sharing how you came from like a very loving family. You've had like everything that you ever really wanted growing up and your parents did everything that they possibly could. So it's just like, um, I'm trying to take it in and think about if I were to continue to raise my kids someday and hmm. pour into them, like how do, how could I love them even more that maybe they wouldn't feel the way you felt, you know, like, is there some, is there a way that in which you could have, uh, you could give me advice, like if I, I, if I, I were if I were in your parents' position, you know. I don't have any advice because I'm not a parent, but I sure. hopefully yeah. this addresses and allays your concerns. Like it was me. I think it was always me that mm. I was always broken, mm. and I think I personally think I was born this way. Um, I was born with an addiction. When I look at even years before I picked up a bottle, I could I could look at my behaviors. I was obsessive. I collected everything. As you know, I would collect baseball cards, and my whole life would be baseball cards. And one day I would wake up and go, "You're like eh, comic books today." And then mm-hmm. I was just always searching for something. So I think there was just something in me that was always broken. I look at it today like God gave me a gift, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and then He's given that to me, and I have to share it and, and use it and help other people. Um, I, I got. I wouldn't trade. It was rough, but I wouldn't trade a minute of it, of the suffering or an ounce of the pain, um, because I think without it, I might not have what I have today. So I don't think my parents did anything wrong. Mm. They were great. <laughs> like yeah. they still are. Um, it's, it was just me. You mm. know, I think some of us are just wired to be a certain way and we break bad, but we can come back and, and mm-hmm. make something of ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Or at least have a life. Yeah, I guess I only feel that way because I'm always the one trying to be the leader that takes like responsibility or take ownership of even the worst scenarios and situations of why people are falling apart. I'm just like, Mm. oh, it's my fault, it's my fault. But sometimes it is like it's what's going on inside of them in which the best that we could do is support them through it, right? True. Yeah. Somebody once told me like never deny anybody, you know, like the pain they need. Mm. And that's always stuck with me um, because I think pain, they say pain and joy are two motivators. For a guy like me, joy doesn't do it. It's mostly pain. I'm not going to, I'm going to sit right here until it's too uncomfortable and then I'll move. Um, hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I, 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 w- I wanted to act the same way. I want to help everybody, especially those that don't have it like I do. I just want to help you and free you from your pain. And, and sometimes that's selfish of me, you know, hmm. I just... I don't want to deny you. I don't know. I do the best I can and I still screw up a lot. But yeah. I think if, if we were motivated with love, it really can't be that wrong. Yeah. So you said that you were struggling to look at yourself because of who you had become. What exactly was hard for you to see in the mirror? My eyes. Um, yeah, I had physically didn't look great. Um, but like my eyes, 
Like I just, I distinctly remember like one day I like stumbled into the bathroom, put like two hands on the sink and like, I just didn't, didn't recognize the guy that was staring back. There was just something in my eyes that was like dead. Um, so I did not. And I think a lot of it was also shame. Mm. Like I didn't want, I know what I'd done. I knew what I was about to do. I knew what I would do tomorrow. And I was embarrassed and I didn't want the world to know. I would go out and drink and, and, you know, I had a couple, like a close group of friends. We would go out every Thursday night. And like, as it got worse, I would go out, but not drink. And they would say, man, you're doing good. But I say, oh, everything's good. And then the minute I got home at like one in the morning, then I would start. Because I wasn't going to not drink. That's that's not an option. I just didn't want you to see the way I did it. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's definitely a lot of shame there. At what point did the the shame and the the struggle of looking at yourself in the mirror kind of go away? And how did you progress to that point? Hmm. So by the time I got to that 12-step fellowship, um, I remember the third day. It was still rough, but but I knew something was different. By that first week, it was a Friday. I had hope, you know, that something, something was going on here. Cause I'd never threw together seven days in a row. Wow. Um, I mean, I had, I, w- I was scheduled to have a jury trial, my first jury trial, which is like the biggest thing a trial lawyer can do. And it was, you know, it started on a Monday and here it is like Sunday night. And I'm like, don't drink, don't drink. You can't do it. Just, and I ended up getting hammered. Um, there was just no matter how I wanted to to act, it just took over. But um, I don't know. I don't know. I kind of I kind of went off on that. I'm sorry. What was? Tell me the question again. Yeah. No, I was talking about at what point did the the pain of looking at yourself or the shame of looking at yourself in the mirror when did that go away and what did that progress of building up to that point of being confident of looking of who you had become. So like when I step back and look at what the 12 steps did Mm -hmm. designed to do, they're really to break you down and build you up. Hmm. So it was definitely somewhere in the first two months for me of getting clean that the shame started to go away. You know, one of the promises we have is like, we're we're not going to regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. So that stuff's there. Um, I can joke about it. It might not be funny to other people, but like it's something that happened I can't undo. It's just not going to eat me up and yeah. not define who I am as a person today. But I would say sometime in the first two months, I wasn't really conscious of it, but but I got hopeful and I got excited and I wanted to help other people feel that way mm-hmm. within the first two months. So what was it like? It sounded to me like you were still, you know, you had this problem. You were still successful with what you were doing. What was that like, I guess, like being hammered Sunday night and then going to your first jury trial Monday? I did lose that case, but <laughs> it was a it was a bad case that my, my boss had dumped on me about four days before trial because it was his case. <laughs> and he realized it was a loser. So he, <laughs> oh, man. he said, here's your first. So I didn't, that, uh, that, that one's not on me. <laughs> but um, truthfully, like the fact that I was able to hold it down and like the rent always got paid. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did have a job. It, you know, it was about two blocks away from where I lived. 
Uh, I moved to Delaware because, like, I figured, well, the bars close earlier and they close at one as opposed to PA where it's two. Like, maybe that'll make a difference. Mm. Um, but it definitely held me back from realizing that I had a problem because mm. I would hold on to, well, I still work every day. I don't mm. drink during the day. Um, yeah, I roll in at 9.45. Yeah, I leave at 4 o'clock. But, like... Some work's getting done. I can't be that bad. There could be a, you know, there's definitely, I'm definitely not at my bottom yet. Um, but that's because I was looking at bottom as being some sort of external material thing of this world. But mm. inside I was dead. So from that entire experience of experiencing it yourself and going through the entire, entire transformation from start to finish and continuously growing, like along the way, like, how did that change your life in terms of relationships that you built, life purpose or mission, things that you really care about? Like, how has that changed your perspective? Hmm. I guess the biggest thing that it changed is I feel like I was given a purpose. And that purpose being, I believe I'm here. I believe we all are here to, to help others and, and get through this thing called life. Um, I'm the happiest when I'm able to do for somebody else. So I feel like at least in terms of my perspective, that has changed. Now it's often a challenge to be a lawyer and be, you know, principled recovery or, or principled Christian. Um, it's, those, you know, the boundaries don't always like overlap as to sometimes I have to, I don't know, it's just hard. It's from time to time. Um, and that was a new thing because before all of this, I didn't care. You know, I had no problem lying if it was in my client's interest. I had no problem doing something dishonest if it was in my client's interest. Um, I mean, I guess now I have a sense of, of integrity uh, I don't really care what... I've never cared... Well, that's not true. Since I got clean, I never really cared what people think about me. Um, the only thing I've ever wanted in terms of a reputation in, in the local legal community is I don't want anybody to ever feel like, well, EJ and I had this conversation. I better confirm it with a letter because I can't trust that guy, hmm. you know? I want my word to be bond. I'm not always the most responsive. I'm not always going to get back to you. But if I say this, you can take it to the bank that, that I'm not going to change my mind and do you dirty later. Um, and I think I'm pretty confident I could say that there's, I know there's one guy that feels like I did something wrong to him. <laughs> um, but truthfully, he was unprepared and I just kind of played him within the rules. But... Um, I don't think I, I think that that I have integrity, and that that is the thing that matters to me. Where mm. twenty years ago, I couldn't have spelled it. Could care less. Could care mm. less. It was about money, uh, results, prestige. But now I care about that. Do you think that having less integrity could get you further in your career? In certain circumstances. I tend to think, especially in a place like Wilmington or Newcastle County, I think having integrity will get you further. 
based upon the the size of the community. There's not a ton of us. Um, and, and I want people to think like, you know, I can trust EJ or I can refer, I can't handle this case, but I can trust EJ to, you know, handle this case. I can pass my client off to him. He's not going to screw it up and he's not going to be uh, dishonest. So I, I think in the short, there are situations that lacking integrity would help. But I think in terms of a career, having integrity has, has served me well. Mm-hmm. That and being lucky, you know, really? that is the lucky. other thing. What that, do you mean by that? I say lucky, but I don't mean luck. Um, it's almost a joke in my office at this point. Because, you know, when I was new in sobriety, things would just, I would, I'd have these black clouds hanging over my head and they would say, just, you know, trust God, help others. It'll be fine. Mm. And that's what I would do. And it was always fine. And, you know, when this happens over and over and over and over again, you tend to rely on it. Hey, you know what? I am, it's going to be okay. It is going to be okay. And now I just laugh about it because like, there's times when it's not great. I know I'm going to be Okay. And boom, something happens. There, I was just telling a story the other day. There was a time I was like looking, a couple of years ago, I was like looking at the bank account and going, don't have enough money to make payroll. And within five minutes, somebody goes, hey, we just got like a $20,000 check in the mail from so-and-so. That just came, and it just boom, like that simple. Like it always works out. Um, coincidence? I don't think so. Mm. I, I know what it is. Like you guys know what it is. But um, so I rely on that. Hmm. So what are the challenges nowadays in which you're encountering, you know, I know one of the biggest things that you've enc- that you've overcome in your life was um, overcoming addiction and getting to this point. So there's a lot of things in which can knock on the doors and put you back into a dark place. But so what do those challenges nowadays look like for you? that you're currently working through, whether it's professionally or personally? So recovery-wise, nothing. It's just off my radar. Um, I feel bad because I don't struggle. Like, there are people that battle every day of their Mm -hmm. life. I'm not one of them. Mm -hmm. You know, I I was delivered. It's not a problem. I'm always, always being an alcoholic, but I don't suffer from alcoholism. I'm not hopeless. Um, The thing, I would say the thing that I am the most thoughtful of these days is time. Uh, I just turned 50 in December and time has been on my mind. Um, and, and I just kind of realized in the past couple of days reflecting that I'm a little more concerned with time and, um, my demise than I should be. You know, as I look at it, I have parents that are in their late seventies. Um, I see them starting to slow down and, and, um, yeah, thank God they're, I mean, they're 78 still out there playing golf. And, and I think they're, you know, they both have good genes. And I hope I have, I hope I'm as active as they are at that age, if I even make it to that age. But, you know, I just start looking at the end. Um, you know, best case, I look at it like probably about two thirds of the way through this thing called life. Mm-hmm. And that's a little scary to me. I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie. Um, and, it, and it's put some things in perspective and made me realize some of the things I lack in life. Um, and I'm kind of in the middle of trying to sort through those things and, and, and make some steps towards achieving the things that I, uh, that I want. And 
and, and don't have. Mm -hmm. So if you say you're two thirds through the way of your life, it's like say 25 years, I think you're going to make it way more to 20 than 25 years, but say like you only have 25 years left to live your life. What do you want to accomplish? What do you want to do? What kind of life do you want to build with the remainder of your life? All right, I have I have one selfish thing, and this is kind of like on me. <laughs> As a kid, this is always something I wanted, and it's kind of topical. But like, I want the baller house. Yeah, and you know, I lived in I lived in a condo for fifteen years. And I finally moved, and I said, not yet. It's not. Yeah, you know, I could, and I bought something that was cheaper than I could afford. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm just not. I just I got one more move in me, so I'm like waiting for that. So I do want that. Mm -hmm. um, I want to build something that, I guess, how can I say it? I derive satisfaction from, like, accomplishment. It's, m making money is nice. Mm -hmm. It affords me to do certain things. But it's not even, like, I don't want to make every dollar. Like some dollars come easy, that doesn't do it for me. But if there's a way I figured out to make a dollar that nobody else does, you know, I kind of think of like the talent I was given made me that dollar. And that's like a sweeter dollar than 10 of these easy dollars over here. Mm -hmm. So I want to build something um, that I can hand off to somebody. Like I want it, I want it to, to benefit somebody else when I'm done. Um, my problem is I don't have anybody to do that with, which is kind of, kind of the problem mm -hmm. that I'm struggling with. Um, so what's we'll the thing? What are you alluding to? What do you, what would you like to build if you could build anything in the world? I mean, I think it would just be some sort of, I don't know, like it would be a connection of my business Mm -hmm. and some real estate investments and, mm -hmm. and some other businesses, just some kind of like business enterprise that, that would make somebody else's life easier at some point. Mm -hmm. Because it's almost, you know, what do I, what am I doing this for? You know? Yeah. Before we came on, we were talking about like, I haven't traveled anywhere until a couple of months ago. And it's, that was part of me like starting to think like, what am I doing this for? You know, um, if I can at least have fun, see some of the world and, you know, have some time for myself. What's, what's the point? You know, I'm going to work myself into an early grave and my niece and nephew who don't need the money are going to inherit everything. Like, what's what's the point? Like, it's mm -hmm. not going to mean anything um, to them. So I don't know. Mm. We'll see. Hopefully I got at least 25. Yeah. To to bring it all bring it all home. I would love to get 25 years. You know, um, I don't know. I feel like I've said this on the podcast multiple times where I feel like, dang, my impending doom is in my 30s. I'm going to get hit by some reckless driver. <laughs> you wow. got to stop saying that, dude. I know. I'm manifesting it. <laughs> but it's like, that's one of the things that you really can't control, right? Yeah. It's like, I'm, I check my blind spots religiously. Mm. I will look in my rearview mirror. I will... You know, I would check every single mirror, just making sure, um, keep my phone down, trying to be as, um, you know, 
as responsible of a driver as I possibly can be because this is one of the things, hey, I can control what I'm doing. I can't control what other people are doing. Sure, sure. If somebody's going crazy behind me, I'm going to see that. I'm going to pull over to that to that shoulder and then I'm, I'm going to watch mm. it happen. And it's like maybe ho- hopefully like no one gets hurt, but it's like somebody's being like crazy from behind me. Like I don't want to be involved with any of that. It's like you're more likely to die from a car crash than you are from – a plane crash, you know, or falling True. out of the sky. True. Way more. So that's why I'm trying to fly a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll, to everywhere. that, I'll counter with what's easier to survive, a plane crash or a car crash? Oh, definitely. <laughs> car crash. Yeah. And it's like, we need, we need to have indestructible cars. Maybe that's the next we d- thing. We had them. We had them. Yeah, now we just, they, they, they weren't any good. Right, we had all these big cars in the seventies mm. and eighties. They're all metal, and yeah, they um, didn't bend and fold. Into they didn't places. bend, but what it did to the the, the forces on the passengers, yeah, and, the people the on the inside, people, right? Uh, <laughs> that's why Rag they all crumple as soon as you tap them. That absorb all that that energy. I guess so. That's why cars compressing is actually yeah. a good thing. It is. Yeah. 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 Well, we need an indestructible car that also has like. Yeah, we got marshmallow, together, so. marshmallow pads. You know, <laughs> they just like eject down. It's like we need airbags that have like a hundred percent, like mm. um, what's it called? A hundred percent safe, safe ratio or whatever. I don't know what I'm saying anymore. But, but they always like, work perfectly. They always work perfectly. You will never die if this airbag ejected. Maybe that's the next idea. Take that out, Caleb. Take that out. <laughs> As if every okay. single car manufacturer isn't working on that every single day <laughs> with like the brightest and best engineers ever. So, so you said that you would like to hand something off to someone that would at one point make their life easier. But you also said that something along the lines of you never want to take away someone's pain that they deserve. Mm. I guess, I mean, this is probably super anecdotal and like depend on the, the person that ends up getting that one day, but how, how can you ensure that by giving this person the opportunity for their life to be easier, you're not taking away pain that they deserved? You got me spinning. I don't have that. <laughs> I don't know, but I can guarantee I'll be thinking about it till I go to sleep tonight. <laughs> what kind um, of question? I, you're going to need to tell me that question again. Wait, can you say no, that but again? You're, but you're right. You're, I mean, you're right. Like, I, I guess I just want something or someone to be in it at some point so it's just not completely me on an island. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But, but I mean, you're right. You know, I, I don't know. Um, and, and I could be taking away somebody's pain or, or making it easier for somebody to, to, to kill themselves. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I feel the same way though, in terms of if there's not anything after me of what I'm working towards now, then to some degree, like it is kind of pointless to yeah. be, to be working so hard for just an immediate end to when, when you're dead. But I think that, like, even sharing your story, I hope you know that, like, I guarantee you there's someone out there that they're feeling hopeless and your story gave them hope. So even if 
<laughs> you can't sleep tonight. Just know that you're already you're already doing it. Thank you. Yeah, I think one of the biggest things, one of the biggest reasons why I was drawn to you from the very beginning was that you're just so relatable in terms of. I mean, I think when we first had lunch together, you was like, "Yeah, I'm just an attorney that wears a flannel and jeans." It's like, <laughs> it's like <laughs> you won't catch me in a suit. <laughs> Let's just in the courthouse know you won't. <laughs> yeah. Is there something about, like, it just seems to me like the way that you live your life, you're just always trying to build connection, build relationship, whereas the stereotypical, like, lawyer or attorney lifestyle, it's like they always want to distinguish themselves. They want to be set apart Hmm. from the rest of society in a sense of upper class, middle class, you know? One of the things that really... Drew to drew me to you was that none of that stuff looked like it mattered to you. It doesn't because I don't I don't relate to the upper class. Mm-hmm. Like I spent most of my years like in the gutter um, around the homeless, mm-hmm. the addicted, the mentally ill. I'm more comfortable there. Mm-hmm. Like I don't. I worked at a country club. But that, like, I never want to be... It's just not for me. And I, and there's nothing wrong with that stuff. It's just not... It's just not where I feel comfortable. Yeah. You know? Would you say that there's a correlation tied to people's insecurities of how they feel or who they actually are? And they try to cover all that up with their money, with their luxuries, their worldly possessions... To the point that that's all you can judge them by, and not actually by their true character and who they, who they are. That's pretty interesting, and I'm thinking about some people that I know. That right, I know some people too. I know some people in commercial real estate. It's just like, oh, I've been in this since since you know my dad's been buying houses, my dad's been buying commercial buildings. He got me into the business, and I'm just like, is is this all your life is? Just buying deals and having tons and tons of assets on your balance sheet. So uh, let me say it like this, right there. So I do, I got my start and I still do a lot of personal injury work and you get courted by doctors all the time. Mm -hmm. And the doctor, and they would want to take it a lunch, whatever. And and that's cool. I'm always down to meet a new person. Um, The doctors that I would not send any business to are the ones that would talk business the whole time. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I don't have any interest in that. But like, let's go to lunch. Like, we, like we did get to know each other and blah blah blah. Like, we'll get to to business at the end, like, <laughs> or, or it just comes up like organically. But I, I don't want you, like your sales pitch. It's just not interested. So I don't. I, I do think that if that's all you have, that you probably are covering up on on, on some. There's something. There's a reason for that. There's some stuff. You know. Yeah. You kind of don't want people to see what's going on inside because you're probably not all that comfortable um, with what's going on Mm -hmm. inside. Yeah. I'm watching these like movies on Netflix and just seeing like people's lives who may work in corporate law or whatever. And they have the money, the house, the the family or whatever, but they work the hundred hour weeks. Just like from your experience and what you've seen, like how fulfilled do you think some of these people are? No, not at all. You can't be. 
like would you say like if you were to put a, a percentage on this like based off the people that you've <laughs> met it's just like just from your own personal experience the people that you've met personally it's just like and you've gotten to know know them over a long period of time because you've been in law for so long it's like what does what does that look like in terms of their life in the ratios of family friends faith fitness um you know finance so a you know? buddy of mine um his wife would, would work 80 90 hours a week and uh, he would never see her and um, she does something else now and she works you know less significantly less and you know she's got a beautiful family and athletic you know does just basically is well-rounded you know mm-hmm. um i, I could that just wasn't for me i don't have mm-hmm. it in me to to work like that i'll work a lot of hours but because i work for myself you know it's almost part of by choice and i like i don't say it as a bad thing like part of my identity is tied into what i do for for so many reasons and i'm okay with that um but i there are times when all i have is work and that is when i'm at my most miserable Mm. you know um when i have the, the opportunity to do other things is when i feel fulfilled and whole so I'm not sure how that lifestyle lends itself to, I don't know how it's fulfilling on any kind of, you want to do it for a year or two, churn young, like, mm-hmm. and then do something else. Great. I just don't know how you could do that mm-hmm. over and over and over again. So what are some things that fulfill you? My trust in God is the thing I hold on to the most. Uh, on the, my family. I'm 50 and and there's still something about like, if mom says it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay. Mm. Sometimes like I look around and and I'll be in the company of, I don't know. It's, it's, I have three girls that that work for me. Um, I say work with me, but they're, they're my employees and and we're all friends, you know? And I look at, I had $2,000 in a laptop computer one day and now I have an office with three people. Um, and we're friends and I look at kind of like I built this, you know, and I had people that helped. Um, but like that fulfills me like some sort of like accomplishment fulfills me sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and look around and see like the, and even including the relationships I've made, you know, like, wow, I have good people, the opportunity to do something like this, you know, this is, it's just great. Like, um, yeah. Yeah. You save all the hard-hitting ones, and they'll make me think to the end here. Yeah. I'm glad you said trust in God because I just keep thinking about this, and I don't even know the best way to ask it because I like can't even think of an answer. But you said that something along the lines of, and this is how, how I felt about my faith, is a lot of things that happened in my life were just so undeniably not me mm. that it had to be God. And I guess my question is, it's it kind of sounded to me like you, you had a similar experience with that. Do you think there's a way to build up your faith and trust in God without, I guess, going through the pain that you probably mm. deserve? 
I'm glad I was waiting to see if you got to it because to me, faith and trust are two very different things. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, f- I feel like based on how you asked that question, that holds true for you. Um, to me, faith is is the belief that you have to have, but trust is for me what I got after experience. Mm. And for me, it was painful experiences. Um, but you know, think about it. Just we took an elevator up. I've been in ele- been in thousands of elevators. Like, don't don't we have trust that it's going to get us there? Like, we don't even think about it. So I would say that there has to be experience. It doesn't have to be. I mean, it's not painful every time I got in an <laughs> elevator. Um, but just kind of the repeated practice of faith, mm. I would say, leads to trust. I never thought of it like that, but that does make a lot of sense. I'm trying to think. We used to have this, like, metaphor of guy riding a bicycle on a tightrope. Hmm. And um, he's got, like, a second seat on the bicycle. And, you know, you kind of go to the circus every day. You see this guy up there on the tightrope with this big pole on his bicycle doing all kinds of tricks and blah, blah, blah. And then he gets his partner on the bicycle. And you, know, you watch this guy over and over and over and over again. You, you, you have faith that he's not going to fall. Mm-hmm. But, like, trust is you get on the back of it. Mm. Um, two very different things. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> right? Because you've seen it happen over and over. You know he's not going to fall. Yeah. But. Yeah. So, trust. Yeah, you have to really trust that. (laughs) I'm not a fan of being a passenger in cars because I I think I I struggle with trusting other people with your life. (laughs) I won't ride passenger in anybody's car. (laughs) Really? But it's more I get motion sick. Okay. Uh, So, I get it. And the airplanes, too. Same thing. Trains the worst. Um, I think I'm the polar opposite i'll sit in the back seat with mm. no seat belt laying sideways <laughs> <laughs> and i fell asleep <laughs> yeah if somebody's willing to drive me you can drive me from here down to florida over to california oh, wow. i'll i'll be passenger seat back seat wherever i'll fully trust i don't know maybe i just haven't lived enough life to experience that <laughs> amount of jade it's just like bro <laughs> I'll trust people until they give me a reason not to trust them. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I'm I'm that way too, but You feel that way too? I do. Yeah. 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 And I'll even trust them a little bit past when a reasonably proven person would cut them off too. Mm-hmm. Just cuz it's easier. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just easier. I've definitely gotten burnt by giving people the benefit of a doubt when I they mm-hmm. haven't deserved it. But it's just easier. I like I have to lay my head on the pillow at the end of the day. So I I have to do, I have to live in, in my, um, in my code. Like my big thing is, um, pardon me. I'm truthful. Like at all times as Mm -hmm. best I can be. Um, and I tell people like, don't, don't take, don't get it twisted. Like I don't do it because I respect you. (laughs) <laughs> like I do respect you, but like I'm not being truthful out of respect to you. I'm being because I can't live with myself. Mm-hmm. You know, I do it for me. And yeah, there's a benefit to you, but like I can't. It's exhausting when I tell somebody a story. 
because then I got to remember that story. I got to know it the next time I see you. What did I say? There's probably going to be like little branches that spin off from like other lines. It's just exhausting and I don't have time for it. Yeah. So, you know, I'll say, you know what? No, I didn't get that done. I'm sorry. I'm going to work on it today. Like it's just, it's just an easier way to live. You, know? mm-hmm. you get a lot more respect from other people when you could tell them, no, I didn't do that. Yeah. And I'm going to rather than, oh, this and this happened and that's why I didn't do right, it. Right. That happens to me every single day. <laughs> <laughs> like with one big glaring exception because like COVID was the kind of get out of jail free card. Yeah. So everybody in like the legal world was just saying, oh, COVID didn't get, no problem. Yeah. Your Honor, sorry, COVID. Like, okay, just get, get it when you can. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, it was almost comical that that was all you had because nobody was doing anything. Yeah. And nobody um, was working. Nobody was, yeah, it was always like a, it was a weird period for everybody, but we just, you know, so I would say, yeah, sorry, couldn't get to it, COVID. Um, but that's over now, so back to, yeah. back, back to, <laughs> back to work. <laughs> so what is some advice you have for someone that is struggling with addiction? If I knew somebody that was struggling with addiction, um, I, I would encourage them to, Go to some sort of recovery meeting and just listen. That's it. Um, I would not encourage anybody. I would talk people out of trying to get clean if you're not ready to get clean. What do I mean mm-hmm. by that? Like, if if you're getting pushed to a 12-step fellowship because a spouse or a parent, don't don't go. You are going to have a bad experience and ruin your opportunity. So, like when I when I hopped in, I said, "I, I see all this this God stuff on the wall. I'm, it's not for me, but I need to do it to the best of my ability so I can put this thing to bed forever. I don't want to like give fifty percent and always have like a nagging question in the back of my head, like would that fellowship have worked? Right? I wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot of people that get court ordered in or pushed in um i would tell them don't go Mm -hmm. wait until you are ready um because you may miss an opportunity um and don't you know don't lose hope if there's anything we would always say like we're we're trying to bring hope to the hopeless because all you need is like one little spark of hope and, and something can go from there and you may get it and it dies and you may get some more hope later but just just don't give up, you know. There is um, there is hope out there. Yeah. And if people want to get a, a hold of you, talk to you about um, the different services or the type of law that you do, or maybe even have questions about, um, you know, their addiction. Talk to you about talk to you more. Build a relationship with you. How could they get a hold of you? Yeah, my email is uh, ej. Fornius, the number three at gmail.com. That's E J F O R N I A S, the number three at gmail.com. It's awesome. Um, my website, I think, is uh, forniuslaw.com. I assume I'm not big on it. We'll figure it out. We'll yeah. Put it there. If you Google EJ Lawyer. Delaware, I'll come up first. How about that? <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, I really appreciate you having um, 
or I really appreciate you coming on to the show, sharing with us your story, being so vulnerable with us, talking about your professional life, and just giving us some wisdom along the entire way. I really hope that we can continue to build the relationship over time, and we can make the rest of your life a huge win, man. I yeah, it's just been yeah. great. I really appreciate you all giving me the opportunity, and um, yeah. I guess I was a touch nervous, but this turned out to be a heck of a lot of fun, and um, I, I, like I really, I'm thankful. I'm thankful. It's awesome. Guys. I'm glad we could make you feel comfortable. Yeah. yeah, you have. You all have. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you, Jay. My pleasure. Thanks. Thanks. So this has been the Not Genius Podcast. We really appreciate you guys tuning into our episode. If you guys want to reach out to EJ, you could reach out to him. If you guys are in Delaware, feel free to hit us up. We'd love to get lunch with you guys. And if EJ is around and you want to meet him as well. You know, you know where to find him. So have a great week. Peace out, guys.